Jesus said in Matthew 28 verse 19, Go therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Welcome to Go Teach All Nations, bringing you Christ's teachings through Australian and international speakers. And here is today's presenter, Tony Rikers. Good evening, friends, and welcome back to our lecture series again tonight. Our topic this evening is a very important one, a very interesting one. It's called the USA in the New World Order. And the first question I want to ask tonight is simply this. Does the Bible mention the United States in prophecy? I believe the answer is yes. Now, let's find out why I say that. Revelation chapter 13, verses 1 to 8. We've found in previous lectures that the Bible has described to us the rise of the Roman Catholic system. We've also seen in the past few nights how the papacy is going to come to world dominance again and that we will have a choice in the future of either the mark of the beast or the seal of God. Now, the big question is, how is all this going to come about? I want us to open our Bibles tonight because we're going to find in Revelation chapter 13, where we've been quite a lot through this series of meetings, that there is another power that is brought to view. I want you to open your Bible to Revelation chapter 13, and we are going to read verses 11 to 17. Revelation chapter 13, verses 11 to 17. And I beheld another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb, and he spake as a dragon. Verse 2. And he exercises all the power of the first beast before him and causes the earth and them which dwell therein to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. Verse 13. And he doeth great wonders so that he maketh fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men and deceiveth them that dwell on the earth by the means of those miracles which he had power to do in the sight of the beast, saying to them that dwell on the earth that they should make an image to the beast which had a wound by a sword and did live verse 15 and he had power to give life unto the image of the beast that the image of the beast should both speak and cause that as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed verse 16 and he causes all both small and great rich and poor free and bond to receive a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads and that no man might buy or sell save he that had the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Now here we see in Revelation chapter 13 that there is another power that has been brought to view. In verses 13 to down to uh, chapter 13 verses 1 to 10, it gives us that first beast power, that Roman system we've discovered in previous lectures. But now from verse 11 down to 17, the Bible brings another power to view. Who is this power that the Bible's talking about here? Because, friends, this is going to be the power that is going to be used to bring the entire world together to worship the papacy and to receive the mark of the beast. Now, some people in the past have said they believe it was Russia. Others have said China. Some people have said NATO. Many think even today it will be the United Nations. But make no mistake about it, friends. Tonight we are going to see that this power that the Bible's talking about here is none other than the United States of America. Let's have a look at a few identifying marks that we can glean from these verses to help us see why I say it's the United States of America. Now, remember, first of all, a beast in Bible prophecy represents what? 
It's a kingdom, it's a nation, it's a ruling power of some sort. We've learned that in our previous lectures. Now, the first point that we can learn about this beast is that this beast arises around the year 1798. Why do I say that? Let's have a look at these verses again. Revelation chapter 13, verse 10. Now, Revelation chapter 13, verse 10 is describing for us the deadly wound of the papacy, the first beast. It says in Revelation 13, verse 10, He that leadeth into captivity shall go into captivity. He that killeth with the sword must be killed with the sword. Here is the patience and the faith of the saints. This is talking about that first beast power, the Roman system receiving a deadly wound, which it received in the year 1798. As John's watching in vision, he sees this power received a deadly wound by the sword. And the very next verse, he says this, and I beheld another beast coming up out of the earth. As this first beast is going down, receiving the deadly wound, at the same time as it's going down, this second beast is rising up to power. Let's have a look at our chart on the screen here to pick up these points. You remember the papacy came to power, began to reign really in the year 538. The Ostrogoths, the last of those three Horn powers was uprooted, it was destroyed. This opened the way for papal supremacy. It reigned for 1260 years, which brought us down to the year 1798. And here in verse 10, we find what's taking place in 1798. The papacy is receiving its deadly wound. But at the same time, the very next verse tells us as they're receiving a deadly wound, there's another beast rising up out of the earth. So around the year 1798, we should find this second beast power arising into the scene of history. Now notice what takes place as we approach the year 1798 in the United States of America. In 1776, we have the Declaration of Independence. In 1777 to 1783, we have the War of Independence. In 1787... The Constitution is voted. In 1788, the Constitution is ratified. In 1789, the first president is elected. In 1791, the Bill of Rights is adopted. And in 1798, we have the first international recognition as a nation. Just as this papal power is receiving a deadly wound, as it's going down, at the exact same time, we find... The picture of history tells us that the United States of America was coming up. And in the year 1798, it had its first recognition as a nation in this world. One's going down and the other, my friends, is coming up. The second point or identifying mark that we can see in this verse of Scripture is that this power arises out of the earth. Notice there in verse 11. And I beheld another beast coming up out of the earth now the interesting part about this is that all the other beasts we've learned about so far they all arose from where they all arose from the sea revelation chapter 13 verse 1 and 2 daniel chapter 7 the beast we saw there they all arose up out of the sea but this particular power this beast power the bible tells us it arises up out of the earth one's come out of the sea this one comes out of the earth. Now, obviously, the sea and the earth are opposite to each other. Now, we have to ask ourselves a question. What does it mean when the Bible talks about the sea? What is the Bible symbol 
being signified here by the sea or the waters that these beasts, these other beasts have arisen from. In Revelation 17 verse 15, we discover what the waters or the sea represents. Notice this verse. And he saith unto me, the waters which thou sawest, where the whore sitteth, are peoples and multitudes and nations and tongues. In Revelation 17, John in vision sees this beast riding on the sea with his, his harlot on its back. And he says the sea represents peoples, multitudes, nations and tongues. In other words, the sea represents a populated area. When those beasts arose out of the sea, they were rising out of a populated area of this earth. But in contrast to that, this beast power arises up out of the earth, which is the opposite, obviously, a sparsely populated area of this earth. In comparison to the old world of Europe, this power would arise somewhere in what we call the new world, what was called the new world, somewhere in Australia or in America, exactly where the United States of America rose from. This is what it means when it says it arose from the earth. The geographical location for this new power must be somewhere in the new world as opposed to the old world of Europe. Our third identifying point that we can glean from these verses is that this power would be a young nation with Christian principles. Notice once again verse 11, Revelation 13 verse 11. I beheld another beast coming up out of the earth and he had two horns like a lamb, and he spake as a dragon. This power has lamb-like qualities to it. Who is the lamb in the Bible? The Bible tells us very clearly in John 1 verse 29, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sins of the world. Jesus Christ, through the Scriptures, is referred to as the lamb that was sacrificed for our sins. And we find this particular power has two horns like a lamb. It has Christian principles as a foundation of this nation. It will be a young Christian nation. Our fourth point is this. It would have no kingly authority. It would have religious and political freedom. No religious authority, religious and political freedom in this country. Why would I say that? Have a look at this. Revelation chapter 13, verse 11. And I beheld another beast come up out of the earth... And he had two horns like a lamb. Now notice something about these horns. If you look at these horns, they are simply just horns. But when you compare that with the first beast of Revelation chapter 13, it also had ten horns. But you'll notice the first beast has crowns upon the horn. Back there in Revelation chapter 13, Verse 1 and 2, we find that when this beast arose, it had ten horns, but it says it had ten crowns upon the horns. Now, what does a crown symbolize? It symbolizes kingship, doesn't it? It said with this particular power, the second beast power of Revelation chapter 13, verse 11, it would not have kings or queens ruling this particular power. This power would be a Christian nation, those horns, those two horns, those two lamb-like horns, those two Christian horns, as it were, would tell us, is telling us that this nation would have the principles of freedom to choose who they would worship, a principle of freedom of who they would vote for. There'd be no kings, there'd be no queens, there'd be no popes ruling this system. This system would have religious and political freedom. 
There is no crowns on these horns. Was America founded upon the Christian principle of government, the separation of church and state? The two horns, those two powers of republicanism and Protestantism. Of course it was, friends. That was the foundation of the United States of America. You see, friends, because of the persecution in many countries in Europe, the founding fathers of America looked for a place where they could have liberty and freedom to worship God according to the dictates of their conscience. The book of the Great Controversy says this, And when God's hand seemed pointing them across the sea to a land where they might found for themselves a state and leave to their children the precious heritage of religious liberty, they went forward without shrinking in the path of providence. The Great Controversy 291. When the doors seemed to open up, they wanted liberty, they wanted freedom. They knew what persecution was. Persecution from the papacy, persecution from the Church of England, persecution from kings and queens. And they longed for freedom, to worship God according to the dictates of their conscience based upon the word of God. In the year 1620, on November 9, 102 pilgrims aboard the Mayflower set foot on the shores of the New World. They were there looking for freedom freedom to worship God, freedom to live their lives according to the dictates of their conscience. And the founding fathers of America, friends, said that they would have a country without a pope and a country without a king. The founding fathers of the USA came from a world where they were controlled by popes and kings and religious leaders. And friends, they wanted liberty. And they had to fight for their freedom. In the War of Independence, they fought for their freedom. The battle cry of the United States of America was give me liberty or give me death. And as a result for fighting for their freedom in the War of Independence, the Declaration of Independence was ratified and the revered document penned by Thomas Jefferson declared this, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. The nation was to be governed by the people, for the people. Now, 13 years after the Declaration of Independence, the Constitution was ratified in 1789. Notice what it says in the First Amendment in the Bill of Rights. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. Friends, the Constitution of the United States of America guaranteed freedom and liberty. You see, friends, the founding fathers of the USA knew that the union of church and state equaled tyranny and that the separation of church and state equaled liberty. They had experienced that in the old world. They were now searching for a new world where they could worship God and have the freedom that they longed to have. And friends, the Dark Ages are a classic example of a union of church and state. You know, friends, the Bible upholds the position of the separation of church and state. When church and state, when church and government come together, usually the church starts pushing its laws onto the state, which then starts pushing them onto the populace, and people lose their freedom. In the Bible, the kings had their palaces the priests had their temples and they were separate. There was a separation of church and state. You know, we find an interesting story in the Bible in Second Chronicles chapter 26 
We find there King Uzziah tries to unite church and state. He goes down to the temple and he decides as the king he wants to burn incense in the temple, which was the priest's job. Well, the priest tried to stop him from doing this. He did not listen to them. He refused to listen. He goes into the temple to burn the incense and the Bible tells us that God smote him with leprosy and he eventually died as a result of that. Even Jesus himself advocated the separation of church and state to maintain freedom and liberty. In Luke 20, verse 25, Jesus said, And he said unto them, Render therefore unto Caesar the things which be Caesar's, and unto God the things which be God's. If it's the government, if it's Caesar's, give it to him. If it's God's, if it's the church, give it to them. But it's separate. Don't bring the two together. The United States was built on the power of religious and political freedom friends our fifth identifying point is this this power will become a worldwide power and authority why do i say that open your bibles again let's look at revelation chapter 13 looking at verse 12 talking about this second beast power and he exercises all the power of the first beast before him and causes the earth and them which dwell therein to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. This second beast power is going to cause the world to worship and follow the first beast, the papacy. Only a worldwide power can cause the world to obey. Is the United States of America a worldwide power? I think we all know very well the United States of America is the world power today as we live. In, in uh, September 20, 2002, the Sydney Morning Herald had an article, and I think this short quote here summarizes the whole picture of america it says now the united states dominates the world with the rise of a new age roman empire how long before the fall people are coming out of the closet on the world empire americans should admit the truth and face up to their responsibilities as the undisputed masters of the world the fact is that no country has been dominant culturally economically technologically and militarily in the history of the world since the Roman Empire. Friends, the United States of America is the world empire in our world today. Let's just summarize these five points. This beast power would arise around the year 1798. It arose out of a sparsely populated area where there were no established nations. It would be a young Christian nation. It would have no kingly authority. It would have religious and political freedom. And fifth, it would become a worldwide power and authority. Friends, I believe the United States of America today is the only power on this earth that fits these marks. As we're coming right down to the end of time, we should expect to see that a power that fits these marks arise to world domination, and the United States of America is that power today. There is no other power on the earth that fits any of these identifying marks as the United States of America does but there's one more identifying mark that the bible tells us about i want you to open your bibles back to revelation chapter 13 there revelation chapter 13 and notice what the bible says here because this power we are told speaks on behalf of somebody eventually revelation 13 verse 11 and i beheld another beast come up out of the earth and he had two horns like a lamb and he spake as a what he spake as a dragon. Friends, eventually this power 
which I believe is the United States of America, which was founded upon Christian principles of separation in church and state, which is looking for freedom, eventually comes to the position where it speaks as a dragon. Who is a dragon? We've learned in previous lectures that the dragon represents Satan, the enemy of God. Now notice, as it says there, it speaks. How does a nation speak? A nation speaks through its legislative powers. What are they going to speak? What are they going to legislate? Look at verse 12. And he exercises all the power of the first beast before him and causes the earth and them which dwell therein to do what? To worship the first beast. Friends, this power, the United States of America, is going to legislate worship. We've discovered what it's going to be about. It's going to be all about Sunday, isn't it? It's going to be all about pushing the world back to the papacy. Now notice what the second beast power will do. In verse 12, we just read, it's going to force the world to worship or obey the papacy. We read there in verse 16 and 17, that this power will enforce the mark of the beast. In other words, it will create Sunday legislation. And it's going to enforce obedience through trade sanctions and a death penalty in verse 15, 16, and 17. Friends, this is what the Bible's telling us that the United States of America will do in the very near future. There must be some sort of muscle power behind pushing the world to accepting Sunday, and the Bible's telling us it will be the United States of America. The Bible's telling us that these two end-time world superpowers, in Revelation 13, it brings out two end-time world superpowers. The first one is the papacy, the second one is the United States of America, and the Bible's telling us they're going to come together and form an alliance to bring the world to a position to receive the mark of the beast. Church and state will unite to enforce religious practices. The USA will cause the world to worship the first beast and to receive the mark of the beast, which is Sunday. And for this to happen, you and I should be seeing an alliance be formed between the papacy and the United States of America. Do we see that taking place today? How does the USA relate to the papacy today? You see, in the past, the United States of America and the papacy have been poles apart. The foundation of both of these systems is opposite. But we are seeing in our world today that they have come into a close union in the last few years. In the past, they would have nothing to do with each other. But in the last few years, they've begun to come together. Even up until the 1960s, back in the 1960s, when John F. Kennedy was running for presidency in the United States of America, they had never had a Catholic president before. And many of the people were getting concerned, thinking, well, if we get a Catholic president, he really has to obey the Pope. What will happen to our Constitution that guarantees freedom? How will he relate to that? And I want to play a short piece of video here of a lady asking John F. Kennedy a question as he was running for presidency of how he would relate to the Constitution. I want you to listen to this short video for just a few moments. I would like to ask Senator Kennedy... Can we stop the religious issues that keep coming up to confuse the public? Well, I, uh, I, uh, I think that, uh, oh, I don't mind. Uh, I must say that uh, we shouldn't uh, move because it's a, uh, I am running for the uh, presidency, which is a powerful office. You have great power under the Constitution. 
And it is a matter of concern to a good many people, and the best way to get it answered, it seems to me, is to ask the question openly and permit me to say that I support strongly the Constitution, I support strongly the separation of church and state. That is, does the candidate believe in the Constitution? Does he believe in the First Amendment? Does he believe in the separation of church and state? Now, when the candidate's given his views on that question, and I think I've given my views very fully, I think the subject's exhausted. Okay, did you notice those words there, friends? John F. Kennedy was asked the question, do you believe in the separation of church and state? Will you uphold the principle of the separation of church and state? And he basically said, I will uphold the principle of the separation of church and state. In other words, what he was saying is, I won't obey the Pope as my religious leader above the Constitution of the United States of America. This is back in the 1960s, friends. But has the United States of America changed since the 1960s? Let's have a look at this statement here from the Washington Post, April 16, 2001. Notice these words. In 1960, the Roman Catholic John Kennedy went from Washington down to Texas to assure Protestant preachers that he would not obey the Pope. In 2001, George Bush came from Texas to Washington to assure a group of Catholic bishops that he would. Friends, there's been a transformation in the 1960s. The Roman Catholic John F. Kennedy said, I will not obey the Pope. But here we find in 2001, George W. Bush coming from Texas to Washington to assure Catholic bishops that he would obey the Pope. Friends, there's been a change in the United States of America, hasn't there? Why is this taking place? Why? Because prophecy said it would happen. Prophecy is being fulfilled before our very eyes today. Notice this statement here from George W. Bush. Bush. The best way to honour Pope John Paul II, truly one of the great men, is to take his teaching seriously, is to listen to his words and, to, and put his words and teachings into, a, into action here in America. This is a challenge we must accept. Friends, we are seeing today the relationship between the papacy and the USA changing. And we, we find a tremendous insight into this union in the demise of communism in the late 80s and the early 90s. In the famous article in the Time magazine of the, the Holy Alliance, we find in this edition of the Time magazine that Carl Bernstein reported on a secret meeting between the Pope and Reagan in the Vatican Library that combined the two most powerful forces in the world into an alliance which had world-changing results. Listen to what Bernstein had to say in this article. He said, in that meeting, Reagan and the Pope agreed to undertake a clandestine campaign to hasten the disillusion of the communist empire. This was one of the great secret alliances of all time. Here we find, friends, as Bible prophecy predicts, these two powers would come to the front at the end of time and work together. One enforcing, the USA enforcing the world to worship the beast. They're coming together, they've come together to bring down communism. The article goes on to say how these two powers would work together to influence Russia militarily, economically and morally. And through covert church actions in the Eastern Bloc countries, it would bring down the power of communism. It also claimed that the US altered some of their moral policies in order to fit the wishes of the papacy. But friends, we saw this take place in the late 80s and the early 90s. And this is showing us the power that these two nations have as they come together these two powers, to bring down the power of communism. Well, what did Gorbachev say about the whole situation? 
Gorbachev said everything which took place in Eastern Europe in recent years would have been impossible without the Pope's effort and the enormous role, including the political role, which he played in the world arena. Friends, the Pope's political role in our world today is not just for the good of mankind, it is to fulfill Bible prophecy and bring the papacy back on top. It's to fully heal the deadly wound. And ever since 1929, when Mussolini signed that historic concordat with the papacy, the papacy has been growing back faster and faster, and their agenda, my friends, is world domination. It's an agenda to fully heal the deadly wound of 1798 and bring the papacy back on top. And we are seeing it fulfilled before our eyes today. The Bible said that this power would receive a deadly wound, his wound would be healed, and after that all the world would wander and follow after the beast. Their plan, their goal, their desire is to come back on top of the world. Jesuit priest and Vatican insider Malachi Martin told us this, Willing or not, ready or not, we are all involved in an all-out, no-holds-barred, three-way competition. Most of us are not the competitors, however, we are the stakes. For the competition is about who will establish the first one-world system of government that has ever existed in the society of nations. The purpose of John Paul's pontificate, the engine that drives his papal grand policies and that determines his day-to-day, year-to-year strategy is to be victor in that competition. The keys of this blood. You notice on the front of that book, on the front cover, it says in a small caption, Pope John Paul II versus Russia and the West for control of the new world order. The day-to-day plans, the year-to-year strategies is for them to be victor in the competition, friends. They're telling us that. They're not just a church. They're not just there for the good of humanity. They want to come back to the position that they were back in the Dark Ages where they were the ruling power of the then known world. And Pope John Paul II, of course, who is now dead, lived his life day to day, planned his life year to year to be victor in the competition. They took down communism. That was one that was gone. Now you just have the West, which is mainly America, and the papacy left. And what is the terminology for this new system? It's called the New World Order. Today there is a world movement taking place to bring in a new world order. Notice what George H. Bush said back in 1991. He said, it's a big idea, a new world order, where diverse nations are drawn together in common cause to achieve the universal aspiration of mankind, peace and security, freedom and the rule of law. James Warburg, the Council of Foreign Relations, said this, We shall have world government, whether or not we like it. The question is only whether world government will be achieved by consent or conquest. Even the United Nations is pushing for a world order. There's a few statements here of many that you can find. UN Secretary General Kofi Annan appealed Sunday for Europe and the United States to back a major overhaul of global security. More broadly, he urged the European Union and the United States to work more closely as the backbone of a new world order in the 21st century. Around our world, we are finding today, there is a push from different nations, from different systems, from the United Nations, to gather together for a new world order. What about the papacy itself? What did the Pope say about the new world order? 
Pope calls for a new world order. Vatican City. Pope John Paul II rang in the new year on Thursday with a renewed call, so this isn't the first time it's happened, for the creation of a new world order based on respect for the dignity of man and the equality among the nations. What about Benedict XVI, the latest Pope? Vatican City. City. Pope Benedict, in his first Christmas address on Sunday, urged humanity to unite against terrorism, poverty and environmental blight and calls for a new world order to correct economic imbalances. I believe, my friends, that you and I are right in the last stages of the setting up of this new world order. Notice what the famous financier David Rockefeller had to say. He said this back in 1994. He said, we are on the verge of a global transformation. All we need is the right major crisis and the nations will accept the new world order. And you know, friends, I believe one of those right major crises, as it were, happened on September 11, 2001, in the United States of America. None of us, friends, will ever forget that day, where we were and what we were doing. As we saw on our television screens across the world, those two towers, those twin towers, hit by those aircraft as they came down to the ground, the world was stunned. The world was shocked. Like a, a, a gigantic earthquake that rippled around the world, the world was shocked as we saw the faces of those people, the terrified look of those who were fleeing from those towers falling down. And on that particular day, I believe the world changed. You know, George Bush said on September 11, he said, today the world has changed forever. Our world will never again be the same. You know, really, friends, that's actually new world order talk. They don't want the world to ever be the same again. There has to be those crises that come into this world that push the inhabitants of the world into a corner where they want to have a new world order. President Bush said Tuesday that there was no room for neutrality in the war against terrorism. He said, you are either with us or against us. And today we have Uncle Sam walking around the world, pointing to every nation and people saying, I want you to do this and that, this and that, and this and that. They are now the police officers of the world, as it were. And today, as never before, we are seeing America speak as a dragon. Revelation 13 verse 11 told us that this power would speak as a dragon. And we've seen this around the world. Even just recently in the war with Iraq, you know, the United Nations and many nations of the world said to America, you shouldn't be going into war with Iraq. We're not going to back you. We want you to stop. And America said what? They said, we don't care what you think. We have decided to go to war with Iraq. We want you to come with us. But if you don't come with us, big deal. We're going to just go by ourselves. This is telling us that, that, about the power that America has. They are the world power, my friends. Forget the United Nations. If America decides to make a decision, they will do what they want on themselves. And today, friends, America is acting as the world police officer. And the Catholic Church is happy about it. Why? Because it is America that's going to put them back on top. And today, if you talk to people, people are concerned about the United States of America. There was a survey done in the Time magazine back in 2003. They asked 700,000 people the question... This was the question that they asked. 
which country poses the greatest danger to world peace in 2003? People responded by saying this. They said 6.7% said North Korea, 6.3% said Iraq, and 86.9% said the United States of America. Today, people are recognizing that the USA is speaking like a dragon. And friends, Bible prophecy is fulfilling right before our very eyes. Now, to bring in a new world order, they must unite, one, the governments, and two, they must unite the religions of this world. Now, we've briefly just seen in the last few moments how the nations are being pushed and coerced into a new world order. But what about the religions of the world? What about the Christian faith of the world with all the different denominations? You know, soon after World War II, the World Council of Churches was set up. Fourteen years after the World Council of Churches was set up, we come to the year 1962, and we find the Roman Catholic Church has a council known as Vatican now, Vatican I was held between 1869 and 1890. These councils aren't the sort of council they have every year or every second year. These councils are not held very often. And in 1962, Vatican II was held, and it was held with the purpose of gathering the religions back together, particularly the Christian denominations. The major aim was the merging of all Christendom and finally the blending of all religions across the planet. I want you to notice a few of the significant points that came out of Vatican II. Vatican II, which was convened by Pope John XXIII. Notice this major, basically the major aim of this. The merging of all Christendom and finally the blending of all religions across the planet. The vehicle... Using, now notice some of these words here, using celebration activity, celebration terminology, and the power of music to facilitate the change. Look at these significant points. Set forth song and musical celebration services as the most effective celebrations, utilizing popular religious songs and relating music to the various cultures and temperaments of the people. Get the churches accustomed to a revitalized style of celebration service. Reduction of inhibitions, lots of physical gestures and bodily attitudes and movements. And as you look at these points, friends, from 1962, there's been a major change, particularly in the Protestant denominations of the world, even the Catholic denomination, but particularly the Protestant denominations of the world. Notice those points there. Get the churches accustomed to a revitalized celebration style of service. Reduction of inhibitions. Lots of physical gestures and bodily attitudes and movements. Use the music to work with the people. And we've seen since 1962 a major change take place in the churches. Exactly what's on the screen there is exactly what's taken place in most of the churches. People now, rather than believing in God and believing in how to worship and believing truth and laying a foundation on the truth of God's word as a foundation for their faith, have taken on what? A more of an emotionalism religion, where your, your religion makes you feel good. Lots of physical gestures, bodily movements, lots of music, reduction of inhibitions, 
I've seen church services on television where I see people handstanding and doing cartwheels down the aisle of the church, friends. That never took place until after Vatican II. And what this has done is broken down the power of Protestantism. Protestants used to be sola scriptura, the word of God is the foundation of our faith, and now we find ourselves, too many of God's people, putting the foundation of their, of their faith upon how they feel, upon how good the music is, or how good the entertainment at church is. And it's broken down the power of Protestantism to the point where the Roman Catholic Church now is confident to call for the churches to come back together under the banner of the Vatican. 1995, Sydney Morning Herald, June 1. Pope John Paul II has called for all Christian faiths to be unified under the banner of the Vatican for the first time in a thousand years. Why has this taken place? Because the effects of Vatican II have worked on the churches that have become so weak. In truth, they just want to love everybody and we should all just get back together and be one big happy church, one big happy family where the papacy is now confident to call to the Christian world and say, hey guys, it's time to all come back under the banner of the Vatican. Now, not all the churches are taking this on, but many Christian leaders in our world today are viewing the Pope as the spiritual head of the Christian church. Protestant teachers and leaders I'm talking about here. People like Billy Graham. He said, the Pope is one of the greatest moral and spiritual leaders of this century. Another statement here. In many, many ways, he, the Pope, represents the future hope for the church when he speaks clearly on justice and peace. This is the leader of the Episcopal Church saying this. Another one here. Leader of the United Methodist Church. Certainly we honor and respect him, the Pope, that is, because he does, in a sense, represent the whole Christian church. Another one here, the Presbyterian church, high official. We have deep respect for him as a leader. We are all part of one church, one body of Christ. Friends, we are seeing today the two end-time world superpowers taking their place on the stage of history. The United States of America and the papacy. Today we are seeing the last superpowers of the earth joining together. Today the religious and political world is being welded together. Why? What's it all about really ultimately? It's all about receiving the mark of the beast. You know, Sunday worship, which is the mark of the beast, isn't something new to this world. Back in the early days of the United States of America, back in the 1800s, most people don't realize that every state in the United States of America had Sunday laws on its books. Every state by the year 1890, except for the states of Arizona, California, and Idaho, every state had Sunday laws, or known as blue laws, on their books, where it was illegal to work on Sunday. And most of those laws are still there today. People have been punished in the past for breaking these Sunday laws. And the only reason why they're not enforced today is because of the separation of church and state. And back in 1888, the United States of America was this far away. The United States of America Congress was this far away from passing a national Sunday law in the United States of America. The only reason it didn't take place is because of a young Sabbath-keeping minister, Alonzo T. Jones, 
he went before the U.S. Senate and convincingly argued in defense of religious liberty and was successful. But the agenda, friends, to still push Sunday and have Sunday laws is still in our world today. Today we have powers like the religious rights who are moving very strongly to get their hands on political positions in the United States of America. Why? What do they want? Have a listen. All businesses, including gasoline stations and restaurants, should close every Sunday by force of legislative fiat through the duly elected officials of the people. Another statement here. If Christians unite, we can do anything. We can pass any law or any amendment, and that's exactly what we intend to do. Another one here. Because Sunday is the Sabbath of the majority in our land and has been nationally established as a day of worship, it is the day all should be compelled to observe as the Lord's day. We further emphasize that it becomes the duty of the government to enforce the observation of the day. One more there. This organization, the Lord's Day Alliance, this organization proposes in every possible way to aid in preserving Sunday as a civil institution. Our national security requires the active support of all good citizens in the maintenance of our American Sabbath. Sunday laws must be enacted and in force. Friends, the Bible prophecy is telling us that Sunday laws are going to come. And we can see today that it's being agitated around the world. We saw that last night of what's taking place around the world with different, uh, in different countries and different nations. This cartoon came out in 2004. It's meant to be George W. Bush. He says this in the little caption, Here's one my conservative base is really going to like, a constitutional amendment requiring folks to attend church on Sundays. Now, friends, it's only a cartoon. I realize that. But some of these political cartoons say a lot more than we think. They're not just there for a laugh. How will America bring all this together? Friends, without the mark of the beast, no one can buy and sell. The modern technology that we have will be used to monitor people who are breaking Sunday. They can shut businesses down who decide to open on Sunday. It's taking place right now. And eventually trade sanctions, if they're not good enough, the Bible says there will be a death penalty. And for those who don't follow and receive the mark and follow this system, death penalty will be the final result. In summary, friends, today the two superpowers of the world, the USA and the papacy, are coming together and fulfilling Bible prophecy. In the near future, the mark of the beast Sunday will be pushed onto the world as a day of rest and worship. In the midst of all this, God will have a people and they will be tested. You know, back in the book of Daniel chapter 3, we find a very interesting story there that's very similar to what's going to take place in the future. We find that Nebuchadnezzar decided when he saw the interpretation of Daniel chapter 2, he decided to make the image that he saw in his vision, but he decided to make the whole image of gold and he commanded his empire to worship that image. He set that image up on the plains of Jura and the empire was called, and three young men were there. Daniel actually wasn't there. We don't know where Daniel was. But Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael were there. And they were commanded to worship the idol. Now, they knew what the Bible said. They knew the law of God. They knew the commandment that said, don't make any graven images, don't bow down thyself to them. They were put to a, a test. 
They were brought to a position. Will it be the commandments of man or will it be the commandments of God? And when the music played and the whole empire fell down and worshipped the golden image, there were three people left standing. Those three young men stood the test. They were saying to the world, it's going to be the commandments of God, not the commandments of men. As a result of that, King Nebuchadnezzar went crazy. He went berserk. He was so wild. He was so furious. He threw them into a burning fiery furnace. The fire was so hot that the soldiers who took them up and threw them in died on the spot. But the Bible tells us that God delivered his people. Because as a king looked into the fiery furnace, he said to one of these men standing by, he said, didn't we cast three men in? I see four men in the fire. And he said, the form of the fourth is like unto the Son of God. You see, friends, God delivered his people. God protected his people. He brought them to a test. They withstood that test, but he delivered them from the fiery furnace. You know, friends, the Bible's giving us confidence here. He's giving us confidence that we can follow in obedience to God, come what may, he will deliver us, he will protect us, and he will guide us. God will have a people in the very near future, my friend, that will stand on the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. In Revelation 14, verse 12, God is going to point to his people in this crisis hour when the Sunday laws are being pushed onto the world. There will be a group of people that God will point to. In Revelation 14, 12, he'll say this, Here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. Friends, God wants you and I to be part of that group. He wants to point to you and I in the future and say, here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. What we face in our world today can look frightening, but I want to give you that confidence and that assurance tonight that God will have a people that will be victorious just as Daniel's three friends were on the plains of Jura. And God gives us a view of those who will be victorious. Revelation 17 verse 14, the Bible says this, these shall make war with the Lamb, and the Lamb shall overcome them. The uniting of the world together, they don't realize it, but ultimately it's designed to make war against Jesus Christ in the person of his people. And the Bible says they make war with the Lamb, and the Lamb shall overcome them, for he is Lord of lords and King of kings, and they that are with him are called and chosen and faithful. Friends, you and I have the opportunity tonight to be with him, to be the called, to be the chosen to be the faithful. The question is, where will you stand in the very near future? Where will you stand when the world is pushed towards breaking the commandments of God? You see, friends, if you don't stand faithful and true today, you will buckle in the future. And God has given us a vision of those who will be victorious. There will be a large class on this earth who will follow God and be faithful to him. Revelation 15, verses 2 and 3, God pictures those who are victorious. And I saw, as it were, a sea of glass mingled with fire, and them that had gotten the victory over the beast, and over his image, and over his mark, and over the number of his name, stand on the sea of glass, having the harps of God. And they sing the song of Moses, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are thy works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are thy ways, thou King of saints. Friends, don't you want to be part of that group that stands upon the sea of glass before the throne of God 
And the Bible tells us that they are victorious over the beast, over the mark of the beast, the image of the beast, and the name of the beast. Friends, God loves each one of us. He's drawing us to him. And maybe you've learned tonight things that are challenging to your life. But I want to encourage you, put into practice the things that you've learned through these last lectures, particularly the Sabbath, as it, is, it will be the controversial point in the very near future. Well, friends, as we continue on, we have two more lectures to go in our series. And our next lecture is entitled Spirits, Demons and the Dead. What happens to people when they die? What role will spiritualism play in the end time? Who is the power behind spiritualism? The Bible tells us that to gather the nations together, that the spirits of devils are going to be working miracles to deceive the kings of the earth and the people of the earth to unite together to enforce the mark of the beast. This message was made available by Cornerstone Ministries. For more resources like this, visit cornerstone-ministries.org. You've been listening to Go Teach All Nations here on 3ABN Australia Radio.
Do you have any other words for the word love? The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in mercy. He will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy towards those who fear him. Take out your Bible today and read this passage from Psalms 103 verses 8 through 11 again, slowly. What word or phrase stands out to you in this passage? Make a mental note of this and come back to this word or phrase later today. Maybe just before you go to bed. This is a great approach for interacting with the scriptures in a new way. When you go to bed, ask God to reveal more about this word and this phrase and how it related to you this day and how it's going to relate to you for this week and how it reveals the unique way in which God loves you. So today, re-look at these passages from the book of Psalms and take it to God and ask Him to show where this is a reality in your life personally. And remember, live your faith and have a blessed day. You've been listening to a production of 3ABN Australia Radio.